Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. And welcome back to the program again today. And thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune in and watch. I trust you're being blessed by what we're saying. I know probably some of the things that we've been saying over the last couple weeks have either stretched you or blessed you, one or the other. I, I really try to present it with a great attitude, but sometimes I think sometimes truth makes you mad before it makes you glad. <laughs> but I know you're being blessed, and we just feel like God is really putting it on our hearts to teach this series that we're doing on the book of Hebrews because it's one of the greatest transitional books that will help you move from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant one in uh, just so powerful of a legal treatise that it would be a blessing to you. We started two weeks ago teaching on the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue this series on the book of Hebrews until we're finished. Now, if you would like to go back and listen to the stuff that we taught, we taught two, I think, of the most important messages we've ever taught on the first two programs, and uh, they are available for you to watch at your leisure at YouTube. Uh, everything that we have aired to date is on our, uh, is on our, our, uh, ch our channel, our YouTube channel. And the easiest way to get to our channel is simply to go to our website. And that information is either right there or on your screen uh, from time to time during this program. And there is a, it looks like a TV screen right there when you bring up our website. If you touch that, you will be able to go directly to our YouTube page and watch our program there. And all of our programs that we have aired to date are there. And you can go back there, archive for your viewing pleasure, or oh, you use them in your Sunday school classes, or your, uh, your, your, your uh, life groups, or uh, your Wednesday night prayer meeting. And they make a great tool to be able to share some things in a midweek service and then have some conversation about them. Also, there is available to you from our website, our iTunes, or you can go to, uh, of course, uh, uh, the I, uh, you can go to uh, your podcast and look up on iTunes, our podcast, but there's a direct link again from our website that will take you directly to our uh, iTunes podcast, and you can get the audio portion of this so that you can listen to it in your car or on your device. I love to listen to stuff while I'm mowing my lawn or when I'm headed down the road in the car. It's a great way to redeem time. Also, there is an RSS feed there for Android devices, so there is so many ways you can get this that you don't have to miss anything. And uh, I believe there'll be a blessing to you. We've been teaching from the book of Hebrews, and I'm not going to go back and review a whole lot, but I will a little bit. Uh, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews. How do I know that? It's the title of the book. It was written to Hebrews around 64 to 68 AD in the final closing days of the 40-year period from the time that Jesus gave His most dramatic prophecy in Matthew 24 and said, this generation won't pass until all these things come to pass. And we established, I think, pretty well in the last couple programs that the last days that He's talking about here in Hebrews 1 is not the last days of this age or the last days of a global situation. It was the last days of the Old Covenant. You know, what's amazing to me is that I was in the ministry before I realized that the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, or I'll say it like this, that the New Covenant is not an addendum to the Old One. It is not Jesus plus the law. It is a brand new covenant. 
And uh, what was happening in the book of Hebrews is a lot of persecutions going on. People are losing their loved ones in arenas. They're suffering the spoiling of their goods. If you could go back to first century Jerusalem and the pressures to go back, not only from the Romans, but also from the Jewish people and the rulers of the synagogue are persecuting these men like Paul and uh, men like Peter and James. Many of them, uh, you know, have been put to death and martyred. A lot of people are under pressure to go back to Judaism. And this book of Hebrews was written to encourage them not to go back. And I would say, listen, you're nowhere near under the same pressure as these people were throughout your life. And so uh, how quickly, how quickly we go back to Judaism when we are not called to go back to Judaism. We're called to follow Christ and be followers of Him. I'm going to begin reading in Hebrews 1 again just to uh, begin to, to take this just a little bit further. Uh, it says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath past tense in these last days spoken to us by the Son. Now I shared with you already how that the last days is not the last days of this age, but the last days. God hath He talking to these Hebrews in this time text, in this first century, calling it God has in these last days. Last days of what? The last days of the Old Covenant. It was what the writer of Hebrews says in a few chapters, it was fading away. Hath in these last days spoke to us by the Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." Now that's powerful in itself because first of all, He was the express image of His person. He was God manifest in the flesh upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins. See, the sacrifice of Jesus purged us and was met every demand that the law, every demand that sin could make, every demand that justice could make. Jesus, when He had purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let me say this as well. The fact that He's sitting down is powerful because that means the work has been done. Because later in the book of Hebrews, he will say, For uh, those high priests standeth, standeth daily, offering many times the same sacrifices over and over and over for sin. But this man, after he had made one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high ever living, or to, uh, uh, you know, from henceforth, I'm sorry, from henceforth expecting until his enemies had been made his footstool. The fact that he's seated says to me he's done everything he's going to do about the sin issue. Now, let me say this to you. Just because he's done everything he's going to do about the sin issue doesn't mean that everybody has received that. But he's admonishing us. After that, he purged our sins that he sat down, and he goes on to tell them later on in the book of Hebrews 
that we need to receive this. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering in, we would seem to come short. But he tells us, listen, he purged our sin. Man, that's some good news. The blood of bulls and goats could not do it, but the blood of Jesus did it. Now, being made so much better than the angels, he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. I think this is powerful to me. So the very first thing he begins to say here is that Jesus is better than angels. Why is that? Because first of all, angels are servants, but he's a son. Now that's powerful because we're going to see in the next chapter that he not only is a son, but he includes us in this new covenant in that sonship. I think that's powerful. And he has received an inheritance. Now I'm going to tell you that if he has received an inheritance and he's the firstborn, or he's the first begotten, and verse 5, for which an angel he said, did he say, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and I'll be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. He's a son who received an inheritance. Now let me tell you that the firstborn son always receives a double portion. Why does he receive a double portion? Because it's not about uh, the fact that it's a measurable amount, but that the firstborn is responsible to take care of the rest of the family. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm part of the family of God. And I'm glad I'm an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But I think it's powerful that he says to them, first of all, being so much better than angels. So the first thing he's saying, everything you see in the book of Hebrews is about Jesus is better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He's better than the old tabernacle. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the priesthood of Levi. He's better, he's better, he's better. But here's the deal. First of all, he, he never said to us that we need to worship angels, but he said to the angels, let all the angels of God worship him. And he said to him in another place, when he bringeth, again, verse number six, again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. He never says that about anything else that deserves worship except for the Son. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. In other words, he's saying to them, listen, he never gave us command to worship angels. He never gave us, he never at one time admonished us to give worship to angels, but he did to the Son. He said, thy, thy throne, O God, and he calls him God, because you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God manifest and three persons. Hallelujah. And so he's saying to him, thy throne, O God, is a scepter, or thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Before I move on from that one, let me just talk about this a minute. 
He said, your scepter is the scepter of righteousness. In other words, the authority to rule is based on the basis of righteousness. I'm jumping way ahead of myself here, but I'm going to keep on, you know, contrasting and connecting back and forth in this book of Hebrews as we continue to teach this. In chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews, it says that he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. Because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Why is it? What was the joy? But here it says, Thou hast anointed him with the oil of gladness above thy fellows, because you've loved righteousness and hated iniquity. I think the thing that was the joy that was set before him was that if he would endure the cross and despise the shame, that there would come a scepter of righteousness because he loved righteousness and that's how he reigns, is he reigns through righteousness. That that was the joy that was set before him that made him endure the cross. Now here's another powerful thought. Think of that behind this scripture. And because of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life by one Christ Jesus. So this righteousness that I believe was part of the joy that was set before him was the righteousness that he would give to you and I as his sons as well that would come as a free gift and then we would receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I want to say to people a lot of times, what part of gift don't you understand? In other words, you didn't earn this righteousness. It was given to you as a free gift and so was the abundance of grace given to you, watch this because it's a kingdom word, so that you can reign in life. Not just when you get to heaven some glad morning, but that you, so you can reign in life. I, I think one of the greatest mistakes that we make in ministry today is when we make the gospel about after we live about 70 or 80 years in misery here and then we get to die and go to heaven. Now I'm not taking anything from heaven. But see, I believe what we've done is we've made the gospel about when we get there, when the gospel is not just about a ticket from here to there, but it's about how to get what's happening there to operate here. And so this righteousness that He gives us as a free gift not earned puts us in the kingdom of God as kingdom citizens. I've been in the ministry for probably pretty close to uh, pretty close to 40 years, probably 38, 39, full-time mobile ministry. And I've seen a lot of different moves of God. And a matter of fact, even a whole lot of stuff that's being resurfacing right now is stuff we saw come and go in the 80s. And some of it, you know, had some truth to it. Some of them did, but it's stuff we've seen before. But one of the things I, I, I noticed was in the 70s and 80s, we preached the gospel of the kingdom, and we talked about ruling and reigning with Christ, and accessing the kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of God. Because we became citizens, not when we die, but the moment we got born again, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. And we are citizens of the kingdom, and if we are righteous based on a gift, we are in right standing with our government. We are not illegal aliens. We are in the kingdom legally based on what Jesus did as a son. 
But when we taught the kingdom in the early days, and there's still some out there teaching it, like I'm not trying to become anybody's enemy. But we preached the kingdom, but the problem was we preached you access it through old covenant righteousness. The problem is nobody ever met the criteria based on old covenant righteousness. In other words, you could never get righteous enough. And so it was always like dangling a carrot out here in front of us. And we'd reach for it, and then they'd move the carrot. And then we'd reach for it, and then they'd move the carrot. You know, we was always going to the next level, the next level. We're on the brink. We're on the threshold. After a while, I want to say, how many levels is there after all? You know, we got people. I, I just saw a post the other day. Somebody was talking about, we're going to another level, another level. I, 20 years ago, they were saying, that. I'm thinking, how many levels are you going to? The reality of it is, is, you know, when Jesus brought you in, to the kingdom. He gave you this gift of righteousness. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and God said to him, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now let me say this to you, because here's one of the things I really feel like needs to be emphasized right now, even among many of my grace friends is that, you know, John's gospel teaches this, that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict you, or He will convict the world of sin because they believe not. So the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit for the unbeliever is a work to convict and convince them of sin because they're not believers. But once you become a believer, the second dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of righteousness. He said, because I go to the Father. Now the conviction of righteousness, I've heard people say, well, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, and then act like they're crazy. See, the problem is you've got a message, but you've not really received it with meekness as the engrafted Word of God, because the righteousness is more than a message. Uh, you know, the gospel simply says this, it says, the just will live by faith. So if you believe you're righteous, you will act like you're righteous. So the conviction of righteousness, when he were convicted of righteousness, when I'm truly convicted by the Holy Spirit of my righteousness, I'm going to live like a kingdom citizen that's representing the kingdom of which I'm a part. So the conviction of the Holy Spirit of righteousness just doesn't say, okay, I'm the righteousness of God. Man, I, I've seen a whole lot of stuff people did in their lives the whole time confessing I'm the righteousness of God, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, uh, and yes, I, you know, you've been made, you're in right standing with God based on what Jesus did. That is absolutely the truth, and that is irrevocable. But your faith in that is what will cause a response. In other words, you are not doing in order to be but when you really discover what you be, there will be a doing that flows from that. So if you're convicted of righteousness, you'll begin to reign in life. See, because I'm convinced that a lot of our problems in this world are not even the devil necessarily as they are. We sabotage our own selves because we believe a lie about ourselves or our identity stolen or one thing and another. But the reality of it is, is that he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And that was the joy. That was at least one part of the joy that was set before him. That's what caused him to endure the cross, is he knew that if I go to the cross, I'm going to purge their sin. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to convey this righteousness on my people. 
They're going to believe into righteousness, and out of the belief into righteousness, they're going to begin to reign in life, and that's the scepter of my kingdom. That's what really produces that's what really produces a demonstration of the kingdom is living out of the reality of the righteousness of God that I am in Christ, based on what He did. He goes on to say, uh, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years fail not. But the which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? Now I'm thankful for the angels of God who are sent forth to minister for them who are the heirs of salvation, that there are at our disposal, just like there was for Jesus, angels of God that minister, that ascend and descend, and minister to us who shall be the heirs of, heirs of salvation. I, I want to just, you know, a thought that kind of hit me when I was reading this, and of course we know that he's talking first of all about, you know, in the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Uh, and he says, but they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment, and they shall be changed. I begin to think about in terms of not just the creation, when he's talking about the foundations of the earth and the heavens, but the foundations in many places where he talks about the heavens and the earth. There's not necessarily talking about the global situation, but they were really talking about the temple of God in Jerusalem and the land of Palestine or the land of the Jews, which was their heaven and earth. It was their Bethel. Uh, one thing quickly, uh, Matthew 5 said, Till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass until all be fulfilled. That's Matthew chapter 5. So if the heavens and the earth have not passed away, according to Matthew 5, then we're still under the Old Covenant. But see, when he's talking about the heavens and the earth, he's not necessarily talking about a global situation. He's talking about the removal of an old heaven and an old earth, and he's talking about the removal of this natural land of Israel and their temple. Because see, even the Jews, if you, if you look into the writings of Josephus, he will talk about how that the veil that was over the temple there that they destroyed in A.D. 70 had, was, was termed by the Jews as the universal gate of heaven. It was where heaven and earth met to the Jews. That's where God and man met, was in the heaven and the earth. But he said these things are about to wax old like a garment, and they're about to perish. As a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. When the Apostle Peter gets a hold of this, he talks about, he says, he talks about the heavens and the earth passing away with a great noise, and rolled together like a great scroll. I believe the changing, you know, I think when I'm even thinking about, you know, uh, the, the heavens and the earth, it was not talking about some future event and some nuclear holocaust. It was talking about the changing of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. The garment was being changed. I think about where Jesus said in Matthew, He said, you don't put a piece of new cloth in an old garment. See, that old garment, you might as well just get rid of it. You don't put new wine 
into an old wineskin or to burst the bottle. The context there is not, he's not saying to them, listen, you can't sing charismatic songs at a Presbyterian church. He said, listen, don't mix the new covenant, new wine, with the old covenant wineskin of law and legalism. Because what's going to happen is what you're seeing happen all over the world right now is the message of grace is coming on the scene like crazy. It's cracking some bottles. It is making an old garment look like a ragged, torn, pathetic garment. And he said, it's going to perish and it's going to wax old like a garment. The heavens and the earth will pass with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. As a matter of fact, the word elements there is the Greek word stoichion and it is translated in Galatians 4 where Paul was warning the Galatians again, don't go back to Judaism. He said, I'm afraid of you because you go back to this stuff, you touch not, taste not, handle not. And he calls it, he said, he calls it in that place, the elements. We, we don't go back to the weak and beggarly elements. Touch not, taste not, handle not. In Colossians, the same thing, he uses the word rudiments there. Dealing with the law of Moses. So where you see that word elements, it's the Greek word stoichion, and it's used to describe the old covenant system of the law of Moses. I tell you what, I believe the Holy Spirit's saying to me through this, it's time to change your clothes. It's time to fold up that old performance-based garment of religion and let it wax old and let it perish and put on the new garment, put on the robe of righteousness. That's the context where he's talking about righteousness here. Put on your right robe. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. As a vesture shalt thou fold them up, shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, but thy years shall not fail. God was folding up this old system, and Hebrews was talking about in chapter 1, it's the last days of that system of law, and the heavens and the earth were about to pass off of the scene, which is not dealing with a global situation. It's dealing with that old covenant land of Israel and their tabernacle and their temple. I love it in the Message Bible. It says, or King James, first of all, says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Message Bible says, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home in men. The new heaven and the new earth is the new creation. It is the new man. It is the new temple of God. Jesus was the prototype when He said, Destroy this temple. Three days I'll raise it back up. They thought he's talking simply about that old covenant temple, which was part of it. But he was really talking about the temple of his body. You and I are the body of Christ. And what? No, you're not. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let's change our clothes. Let's get rid of the old wineskin. Let's move on to a new day. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy. What joy? The joy of righteousness that would be conveyed upon you as a free gift that would cause you to be able to reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And the angels are at your disposal to help you. We're out of time. Take a moment to call that number on the screen or to use the email. Uh, you can go to our website if you'd like to give a gift or a support or a seed into this ministry to help us to continue to do this. It costs a lot of money to do television. That goes without saying. But if you will write to us, 
you, there's an, uh, uh, there is an address on the screen, and there's somebody standing by to take your call. If you want to give via credit card or debit card, call that number on the screen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Tune in again next week. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.